It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Will, when I was at Emerson and going to 30 games a year between 88 and 92, um, I got into the press box, I think, once. And my God, that perch was unbelievable. It was below what was then, I think, the 600 Club is what they Mm -hmm. called it, where there were 600 very special seats above. And then once they've rebuilt now, that's a very high spot at Fenway uh, behind the plate. But... What what is it like there? What what's something you see from that perch high above? And obviously you get to do it all over the league. But I'm thinking about that Fenway perspective, such a venerable, you know, legendary ballpark. Do you see certain nuances and nooks and crannies of that place from up there that you make sure to kind of um, communicate to the fan base? Yeah, it is certainly a distinct broadcast vantage point. We are high, but we're also close. Like, we're very close to home plate, which, as a play-by-play broadcaster, is essential. You want to be able to – I've always thought the number one job, where's the pitch? What happened when the pitcher delivered the ball? Where was it in relation to the plate and the strike zone, and what did the hitter do? And at our place, we've got a great vantage point to do that. Um, You know, the, the, the difference in being high at our place is that it takes a little bit of time. Joe always says that Ken Coleman, his first year when Joe got here in 1983, Ken's first piece of advice to Joe, uh, which I've tried to take to heart, is when it goes toward the green monster, you have to wait. You just have to wait. Like, it's just the reality of our ballpark. Now, there are obviously times when there are no doubt home runs that you know are going to Lansdowne and you can let it go there. But there are many times when you could, you could get caught out by a ball that's going to be high off the wall or just not uh, at a certain trajectory to get out. Um, we're a little bit blocked down the lines, the corners, like by the fist pole and by the pesky pole. And that's another one where you got to wait. Like the other night, we had the bases loaded in the ninth inning against Baltimore. And Trevor Story hit a ball right to the base of the pole. And you have to wait for the umpire to signal fair ball, which you do. And so then you see the ball carom into the corner and two runs score. It, it was not until I saw the replay that I, it, it was like two feet from being a game-tying grand slam behind that that little cutout wall and underneath and off the base of the pesky pole. Um, I, I just think, you know, one of the things about this job that's marvelous is Fenway Park. And I try once a homestand to just walk the ballpark because I think we can all get in routines where you just park your car, you walk in the gate, you say hello to the security guy, you get in the elevator, you go to your booth, you go to the field for batting practice, you talk to the manager in his office, and you just, you very much wrote in your routine. I try to break myself of that. And without fail, every time I do that, I'm glad that I did. Like, I'll sit by the Ted Williams seat in right field and watch our guys shag fly balls 
in the outfield. And it lets me see our new guy, Sedan Rafaela, take angles that I haven't seen a center fielder take since Jackie Bradley. Or the other day, I just walked all the way around to the, to the right field corner by the pesky pole. And then as I walked down behind home plate, the gates had opened. And one thing it's easy for us to forget, those of us who have the joy of working in this job every day, is the sense of wonder that people feel coming into a ballpark. And I do think that's ratcheted up at Fenway Park. Like I walk behind home plate as someone who appeared to be in their 60s. And you could tell they were a visiting fan. It was their first time at Fenway Park. They walked up the ramp behind home plate and looked at this expanse of green and the wall and left. And there was a childlike audible gasp like oh my god this is the most beautiful thing that i've ever seen and i think it's important to not be jaded by the fact that you're working in one of the great living breathing cathedrals in all of pro sports in the world and um so yes when i'm sitting at that vantage point looking out at the sitco sign and the monster and the downtown skyline and this it, it just amazing expanse of verdant green you do think about Ted Williams and Yastrzemski and Manny and Ortiz and Pedroia on the dirt at second base. And I, that ballpark, I do think, evokes sense of memory and history uh, in a way that very few do. And, and we're, we're blessed to call it our office every night. Oh, man, I, I couldn't agree more, um, whether it's my, you know, childhood um, Red Sox fandom and Fenway love or now what I've had with 25 or 30 years being around Wrigley pre and post renovations and the desire to try and keep that aura, keep that yes. sense of, of history. Um, and and as, as you walk around in that empty ballpark, let, let, let's be honest. As a play-by-play guy, you have the freedom to go in as early as you want and go anywhere you want in the ballpark. There's, and that sense of kind of ownership of the entire place, um, as long as it goes along with the reverence, it's sort of essential to do the job, isn't it? Because you're the conduit to not just the ballpark, but the entire building, the entire experience. You got to be able to speak to it from a comfortable place of confidence. I think. Sure you do. And I, I think that our place is a living museum and there are nooks and crannies inside the ballpark that, by the way, come into play yeah. in the course of a game. Like we have a, a tunnel just past third base called Canvas Alley. And now it's one of the areas where the grounds crew comes out and media wait to come out onto the field in postseason games. And it's taken on new meaning in modern times. It was originally built so that elephants with the circus could come onto the field at Fenway Park, right? So, and you, you wouldn't necessarily know that if you don't read the history of the ballpark or go down and see the plaque that's right there on the wall in Canvas Alley. And there are things like that all throughout the entire yard. You know, this is the spot where the first door to the Red Sox offices when they moved to Fenway Park uh, in 1912, and that that too was down the first baseline. You know, it's like these little things that that will come up. You have to be not just conversant in the history of the ballpark. I mean, for goodness sake, it, it it's my it's like if you're the CEO of a company, you need to know all the little arms of the business, um, and you have to know from the the lowest marketing manager to your CFO to your chief technology people. You got to know all the angles of it, and so I've always felt like. You know, the, the ballpark, especially Fenway, uh, is such a, an important element of Red Sox fandom and history. Uh, so, yeah. And, and, and I again, I just think it's really important. And the first time I did this, ironically enough, was in COVID when no one was in the ballpark and we would be 
the team would be out on the road and we'd be doing games from our broadcast booth alone uh, off of TV monitors. It would be Joe and me and our producer and maybe like two security people, literally. Like the, the front office would not be there. There was no one in the ballpark. And it occurred to me in those moments, like seriously, in the history of that place, 112 years, how many people ever, ever, other than the owner and maybe the team president and probably the head groundskeeper a couple of times are sitting in there with themselves, like legitimately. And a couple of times I would wait until like 30 minutes after when I knew the security people were gone and I knew Joe and Doug, our engineer, were gone. And I would just sit in the front row behind our dugout and look out at Fenway Park and, and, and just kind of soak it in. And, 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 and the quiet of it, you know, the, the, these ballparks are these living things and they are brought to life by the fans and the sounds and the hawkers and the peanuts and the smell of hot dogs and, and mustard and all that stuff. But there's something really almost religious about being in it alone when it's quiet. And mm -hmm. I think that allows you to appreciate it, in a way it sounds so cheesy, but like the living historic soul of Fenway Park. And, and I, I, I almost view it like, you know, it, it's 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 your grandpa and it, he is most of the time just kind of sitting on the back patio, you know, drinking a glass of lemonade and, and rocking in his chair, reading the newspaper. And then here comes the family reunion and everybody's around from the grandkids, the great grandkids. And that's when he comes to life and can can be his fullest self. Well, that's the way I kind of view Fenway Park when when the gates open and fans come in, especially when the ball club is playing great. Uh, and it's those special, magical moments where the place is rocking. Um, I, I just it is really is a treat to call that place home.